Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at WAVE 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E dot com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, empowered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 0230 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome to this edition of Buildings on Fire's Taking It to the Streets, on your street, in your city, across the country, and around the world. I'm your host, Christopher Naum, on this edition of Buildings on Fire's Taking It to the Streets. So I want to thank our listeners that are listening live. We are currently live on the air. And uh, for those of you that may be listening in as part of our uh, continuing downloads, and again, we continue to thank our, our loyal listeners and those of you that are new to our program for taking time out of your busy schedule to um, take part in uh, 
getting some insights on the continuing challenges dealing with the built environment, fire ground operations, and ensuring that we have operational excellence through our diligence and duties. Advancing operational excellence, decisive engagement for the fire service through our discussions and our insights. On this edition of Taking to the Streets, we're, we're continuing to pick up on some conversations that we began in our previous episode. On our last episode of Buildings on Fire, we talked about the four reads, and those four reads included reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment and or fire, and reading the company. And we got into the details and the conversation and the discussion of what each one of those four attributes truly are. And I'm truly convinced and, and very confident then that once you get past all the dialogue and discussions and so forth, that for many of us we can come to some uh, common conclusions and some common ground when we talk about some of the critical importance that these four domains have, certainly on, on yesterday's fire ground, but even more so uh, within the aspects of, of today's fire ground. When, um, when we got into the discussions again on that previous episode, we talked about, as we have in some other episodes that are currently archived on the fire engineering uh, uh, blogtalkradio.com uh, archived areas, uh, again, I encourage our listeners to go back through and, and find a very robust number of programs that span a number of years. We've been uh, producing our podcast in the in the very earliest days, sort of uh, as part of the pioneering group of uh, podcasters, uh, well over uh, 14 years ago, and uh, we continue to promote our programs now here on uh, FireEngineering.com and on the current platform that we have available to us, along with many other colleagues that uh, present some extraordinary and very insightful conversations dealing with a wide gamut of uh, topical areas for, uh, for the benefits of the job and the fire service. So as I mentioned, uh, one of the things that um, we've been talking about here on our program continues to be this concept that we've been building over a couple of episodes uh, in the latter part of uh, last year and then certainly into this year in 2023, talking about the aspects of fireground modeling that we've been promoting and been presenting on, uh, on a variety of different uh, platforms and certainly around the country at FDIC and through many of our individual uh, presentations across the United States. But uh, revolving around, again, building, um, building construction, fire ground operations, the integrated aspects of both building construction and the importance of how understanding the building and how that truly integrates with not only our decision making, but also all of our fire ground operations, along with um, the continuing discussions and threads uh, around our flagship modeling, uh, dealing with first arriving construction tactics and safety and, and how, again, within that first arriving sequence, and, and again, we can get into some discussions about what that tactical period may be. Um, it's in, within the 10 to 15 to 20 minute period of time, of which the most critical is in the first 10 minutes of our arrival. But that first arriving construction, tactics, and safety has so much to do with such a cascading number of initiations and events those that have severity, urgency, the growth, uh, the priorities of the incident, and so forth. Um, and again, one of the things that we talk much about is the continuing challenges in sizing up our buildings and how that leads into other 
what we call cascading uh, events or, or causal factors that impact what and how we read the building, how we sometimes misinterpret uh, particular elements, how sometimes we just don't know and we just stretch the line and go to work. Um, I will say this, that uh, one of the leading issues affecting both uh, fire ground uh, line of duty deaths, uh, both near misses, um, and some of the adverse issues affecting us uh, regarding fire ground operations that are coming out of after action reports and uh, serious accident reviews and so forth continues to be one that was identified in a root cause analysis that the University of Georgia undertook a number of years ago, uh, looking at line of duty deaths, taking a look at all of the NIOSH reports and doing a root cause analysis, of which one of the four defining areas in which were direct root cause analysis to those events, the one that has the most relevancy here as we talk about it is the inadequate preparation for or anticipation of adverse events during operations. And again, we talk about that at the command company and at the task level, but it probably has the greatest degree of, uh, of implication both at the company first arriving level and then also at the first arriving sequence of the commanding officer who subsequently will be the incident commander. So let me repeat that again. It's the inadequate preparation for or the anticipation of adverse events during operations. And that directly uh, has a relationship to, again, reading the fire ground, reading the building, uh, reading the compartment, and uh, reading the company. And that, those, again, are first and foremost to our continuing dialogue discussions and advocacy on our fire ground modeling, dealing with uh, buildings, operational perspectives, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, we continue to stress that, uh, again, the built environment continues to evolve in such a way that, uh, again, we have a situation where we have an, an evolving built environment which ultimately uh, reflects in, in such a demanding uh, fire ground. And the built environment is really developing faster with greater complexity and greater hazards and greater risk to our firefighters and our operating companies than the tactical models are, are actually proved. So when we get into this discussion and dialogue, again, relative to the modern fire ground, talking about what we um, classify as fire ground architecture, it's, it's much more than just uh, panning and talking about building instruction, and, it, and it, it is not independent. It certainly is something that's very much integrated in everything that we do within the emergency scene of the fire ground at a structural fire involving some type of occupancy, some type of building and structure, and those related uh, challenges. Uh, the challenges, again, when we talk about, uh, well, let me back up one. Well, actually, let me back up uh, even more so here. One of the things I wanted to make mention of here before we got too far into our program on this episode uh, are a couple of items here. Uh, a very, very good friend of the fire service and certainly a very, very good uh, colleague, brother firefighter, uh, and contributor to this particular uh, podcasting program over a number of episodes over many, many years, good friend of mine and a good friend of the fire service. I just want to give a, a very well-deserved shout-out and congratulations to Deputy Chief Vince Mulray from the Philadelphia Fire Department, City of Philadelphia Fire Department in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, Deputy Chief Mulray just uh, recently retired, just uh, within the last uh, 24 hours, completing 35 years of dedicated uh, service to the 
citizens and visitors to uh, the city of Philadelphia. And again, I just want to say congratulations, Chief. Uh, uh, we certainly wish you the best in your retirement or in any of the other endeavors that you will uh, um, move forward into in, in the years coming out of, uh, out of the job. So a very, very uh, big congratulatory um, welcome and such to uh, Deputy Chief uh, Mulray on his, uh, on his recent retirement off the job. And, and again, if you go back to many of our archives, Chief Mulray has uh, had the opportunity to call in as a uh, just a call-in guest talking about some questions and so forth, um, or has uh, uh, appeared as a co-host as one of our guests here on our programs as we've discussed. Uh, we did complete, uh, a re recently we just completed a, uh, a uh, reading the buildings, uh, walking firefighter walking tour in New York City with a good friend of mine, Battalion Chief uh, Danny Sheraton out of the uh, 3rd Battalion in the Bronx. He and I co-hosted and facilitated a day-long walking tour within the uh, uh, area of Manhattan in New York City, starting off in Midtown and finishing off uh, down in the uh, lower Manhattan area. Uh, just taking a look at buildings and talking about size up, construction, operations, and certainly command and tactical decision-making. Both of us offered some different viewpoints based upon our years of experience, and it certainly was a, a tremendous day for, for all of the attendees. We had a number of individuals from up and down the East Coast and actually had a, a couple of guys that came out of the Midwest of the United States, actually from uh, uh, Indiana who took part in our tours. A great day, uh, a little bit rainy in the start. We started off at one of the firehouses there in the city and uh, finished off uh, at the FDNY Fire Museum. We do have a, another tour scheduled. Uh, the next tour date is Saturday, June 10th, and uh, we'll have some things posted up for those of you that are interested in coming along and attending this a very phenomenal opportunity. And along with that, um, I will also say that uh, I do have a number of other programs that are tied into some other conferences coming up, and I'll make mention of those toward the latter part of our program. So a lot of really great opportunities, but our next New York City uh, reading the buildings, uh, walking tour, firefighter walking tour in New York City is coming up on June 10th, and then we're also looking at an upcoming date uh, with Chief Sheridan and I for a uh, uh, walking tour in the Bronx. So keep, uh, keep an eye on the social media for those of you that are following our programs and so forth. Uh, again, you can do a quick Google search uh, and find some of the uh, social media accounts that we have uh, accessible for you, and uh, that will take you to uh, a couple of sites to actually register and be part of this exceptional, exceptional program. And those of you that are interested in hosting something in your departments, again, these are being presented not only as sort of our, our flagship program in New York City, but um, also there's opportunities to bring this program along with the building construction classes right to your specific uh, department and agency. Just get a hold of me directly on that. So as I mentioned, um, part of our discussions here, uh, and again, I've always advocated this, and, and this program is no different, but uh, all buildings truly are predictable of their performance. But when we get into that aspect, again, how does that translate into fire ground operations or the methodologies? And we're all very familiar with certainly one of the critical functional aspects of fire ground operations during our, our initial arrival, and that deals with the sizing up of the incident scene, the sizing up the building, sizing up the fire, as well as many other attributes 
instruments. And we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the historical perspectives of size up um, and then give you just some, some quick insights on the, the five and five. There are five predominant aspects of reading the building. There are five interrelated uh, considerations of those in the sizing up of a building. And again, all of this is to be able to identify succinctly and get really down to the, the criticality of building indicators, the things that we are observing, the information, the building intel, and so forth, coming from a lot of different sources, but certainly upon our arrival, looking at the building, getting communication, getting feedback, getting uh, uh, building intel that helps us uh, to identify and formulate our and, and influence our decision making, but also to, to identify the actions that are going to be necessary for us to uh, uh, integrate and engage within the uh, within the incident scene again with a building with a particular occupancy and it's not so much the occupancy type as it is the occupancy risk that is derived out of it and that's uh, a criticality so again how does that all translate up when we're talking about size of how does it get implemented on the fire ground um, are there aerial likely situations what are the types of miscues what kind of misreading the building misreading the fire misreading the companies sometimes misreading time especially when we talk about time as we relate that and as we define that into the tactical windows of today's fire ground of which the most critical tactical window is that first 10 minutes and that first 10 minutes that elapses into the 15 to 20 minutes of operational time and for many of you when we talk about fire ground uh, the elapse of fire ground time uh, many of you are familiar with possibly the 20 minute rule the 15 minute rule best practices actually dictate and revolve around the 10-minute rule of tactical window and operational time. But all in all, 20 minutes of operational time on today's fire ground uh, really provides some critical benchmarking or targeted uh, target points. Um, they are critical in, in our observation or our monitoring of the fire ground. They are also going to reflect what and, and how we are engaging on that fire ground, both at the task of the company and uh, tactical and strategic level. So there are some critical aspects to that. And then lastly, uh, you know, misreading the, the command and staff and how command and staff can also uh, at times misread uh, and have miscues that are going to affect overall operations. When we talk about size up, and, I, and again, I'm not going to get into too many levels of detail here. I'm going to try to keep our program somewhat more concise uh, in this instance, and, and again, revolve around some history of size up as it relates to our operations, and give you those five and fives that'll sort of culminate in our program here in this episode. But for many of us, we're very familiar when we talk about construction-based tactics, construction-based size up. We're familiar with typing a building. Uh, we're familiar with the types one through five um, or class one through five classifications of our buildings and the associated uh, types of occupancies, whether it be residential, commercial, industrial, retail. Uh, mercantile, what have you. But uh, types one through five, for some of you that are new to the fire service uh, or have just recently maybe have completed some of your initial firefighter training, or for some of you that may have forgotten some of the uh, basis when we talk about the importance of, of building construction and especially building anatomy. The construction systems portion of it is all derived out of the NFPA 220 standard, and that is a standard on building types, first drafted in 1952, first issued in 1954. <coughs> Excuse me, and again, it has gone through uh, 16 
different editions uh, in that time frame from 1954. Here we are again going into 2023. So a lot of, of different uh, eras and editions, but ultimately in 1952 and 54 is when we first started uh, identifying our buildings regarding the standard classification. For many of us, it's, it's all we know, and that's type 1 with fire resistive, type 2 non-combustible, type 3 are ordinary construction or brick and joists, type 4 heavy timber, and ultimately uh, type 5, which is wood, or wood, uh, or I should say wood construction. And, and that in itself is, is very limiting because there, if we talk about type 4 wood, um, although type, uh, excuse me, type four wood dealing with heavy timber, we have both uh, uh, the what we call heritage uh, or legacy type construction dealing with heavy timber, but there's also a new type of of type four construction dealing with mass timber that revolves in an, around an entirely new and emerging engineered uh, systems and components that give us a different type of uh, type four uh, heavy timbered or mass timbered. Uh, constructed building. If I talk about type 5 construction, again, wood, it could be everything from a, um, a building of balloon framed type construction, brace framing, it could be dealing with uh, 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 traditional fully dimensioned lumber or our conventional uh, uh, type of lumber where we have our nominally dimensioned uh, structural members, or it can certainly include lightweight engineered or engineered structural systems, of which there are a number of different attributes coming out of it. So again, there are a number of different aspects. It appears that we had a uh, drop in, uh, in a quick little uh, technical gitch, so we're, we're back live at least uh, being able to communicate. So uh, for a period of time there I was talking and uh, apparently uh, I was off the air. So hopefully you'll recognize that dropped condition and uh, we are hopefully back uh, and you're able to listen in on our program uh, currently. So we are talking about the uh, NFPA 220 standard and again uh, to reiterate very quickly here we're talking about type 1 through five construction elements dealing with uh, fire resistive, non-combustible, ordinary heavy timber, and wood construction. And that really becomes the basis of sizing up and, and talking about our various types of, of buildings and giving some of the initial size up considerations from that standpoint. So uh, the one point I do want to make is that in a previous time prior to the 1950s, there were different types of classifications. And if we really go back all the way to uh, the early days of the first codes, the National Building Code uh, um, from the National Board of Fire Underwriters in 1905 all the way through 1915, uh, there were three different types of construction classifications. Uh, type one was called frame construction. Type two was non-fireproof construction, of which there were two subsets. Those included ordinary construction and mill construction. And the type three construction in that early era of time was the fireproof construction. So uh, again, if you've listened in on some of our other programs, we've, we've actually talked and gotten into some of those different attributes and discussion, discussion points uh, revolving around those considerations. 
when we talk about uh, first due operations, and again, leading into the aspects of dealing with the building, dealing with uh, any type of an evolving conditions, those that we are, that we can identify uh, by virtue of things showing that are that are evident in, in terms of observations, whether it be smoke and or fire showing, or communications we're getting from uh, various individuals on the scene that are communicating and indicating what may not be obvious on the exterior of the building, but what may actually be present on the inside. Uh, again, when we take a look at those particular aspects, um, there are a couple of different things here that we want to we want to uh, sort of put in front of you here when we talk about uh, such things uh, as the the predictability. I, again, on the first due, and I'll, and I'll say this is that typically predicting adverse fire behavior and potential structural compromise or collapse at, a, at, a, at an incident is certainly, I think, one of the most challenging tasks facing first two companies and commanders at a, uh, at a fire scene. Uh, when we take a look at some of those particular aspects, um, they, again, usually the lack of information um, on the construction of the building, the fire size, the fire location, fire burn time, uh, the conditions of the building, the fuel load, and many other aspects of that sometimes make the tasks uh, nearly impossible. However, I think that when there's key building considerations and fire ground indicators, when presented, uh, when recognized, and when identified for their relevancy and for their importance to the operational safety, um, can really dramatically influence um, operations. One of our newest programs that we actually have rolled out, we, we started promoting our, our class uh, about two years ago, and then uh, last year in particular, um, we've been uh, uh, very diligently doing presentations across the United States dealing with the influence of building construction and occupancy risks on decision making both at the command and company level. And again, buildings and those occupancy risks and the emerging aspects of research are really influencing much of what we can or should be doing um, on today's fire ground. And unfortunately, we are not either recognizing, we are, are, are functionally illiterate when trying to read the building, especially going beyond what's normally the cursory, uh, obvious kinds of things that, are, that we've been trained and conditioned to uh, respond to. Um, or the types of conditioning that comes about during our condition size up. We, we all develop a certain type of skill set uh, or a certain type of programming in terms of what we observe and how we communicate those observations. Sometimes they are very, very uh, concise uh, and sometimes almost too concise and, and too limiting time constraints and time demands. Um, or we're hitting the button upon arrival and we say very little. And I've seen more of that versus the other. I think in years past when we had much more robust conversations and dialogue and communications via our apparatus radios and even face-to-face -face and portable-to-portable -portable communications, we've certainly gotten away from that much, much more as it relates to the commonality of technology and the utilization of certain type of equipment that, again, press the button, give an indication, and so forth, that provides a different way of doing business on, on today's fireground. So uh, those are just a, a couple of thoughts and a couple of uh, discussion points from that. Uh, one of the other things that I'll make mention of is that uh, what I'll call the, uh, the, the six predominant uh, risks and the six predominant influencers 
in that first due window that, again, are also going to influence some of the aspects of size up. And they include, again, identifying uh, building uh, structural integrity issues, uh, compartment fire behavior. So again, if we're talking about operational risks and, and key indicators that one has to identify that will influence our decision-making, influence our operational deployment, they include, again, building structural integrity, compartment fire behavior, the sustainability and uh, availability of water, which is so critical to our engagement, uh, the availability uh, of resources, the severity, urgency, and growth of, of the operations and the incident, and the incident demands. And then uh, the sixth item is the aspect of time, the elapsed time, and also that tactical window that we may have that, uh, again, are going to be right in front of us. And those influencers and stressors, again, as they relate to our subsequent operations dealing with the building, deal with, uh, again, the aspects of the compartment, building, and structural fire, the compartment, building, and fire behavior, the aspects and the concepts of resiliency and integrity, both as they relate to the compartment and the area of operations within the floor, and then also the resiliency and integrity of the building. And then I'll also say that, again, when we talk about the four reasons, the fire ground and the aspects of the company, that other aspect is also the resiliency and the integrity of the company, and they are so, so critical to that discussion point. Then also, again, the uh, being able to identify and pick up upon the predictability of that building, of that compartment, um, the aspects of uh, compromise and collapse. So to what degree may one have some uh, concern from compromise all the way to negligible to significant uh, uh, compromising, significant compromising conditions dealing with collapse. So when we talk about it in this context, we talk about compromising, meaning the, the more minor of the severity, all the way to a collapse con condition where, again, we have uh, significant uh, areas of the building or significant uh, portions of the structure, both internal and external, that, uh, again, might, might be catastrophic in nature, sizable in uh, scope, that, again, will affect our operations on and within the fire ground. The aspects of uh, both the uh, material and the uh, human performance portion of it, in terms of RIT, as I just mentioned, and then also the availability of building intel and the availability of the continuing decreasing amount of time that we may have based upon those subsequent operations. So there's a lot of moving parts when we put those into, into motion. We talk about operations and, and such. Um, trying to think here as we transition a little bit, uh, just talking about a couple of other uh, key elements here. So you know, one of the other aspects uh, when we talk about size up, severity, urgency, and growth also revolves around that aspect of, uh, of risk. Risk, again, there, there are three different aspects of risk when we talk about our building and our fire ground. There are, uh, especially on the first due, there are aspects dealing with building risk, there are aspects dealing with occupancy risk, and there's also at-risk behaviors that are associated uh, at the company level. But when we talk about managing risks, and, and again, as it relates to our size of component, um, they are all, again, trying to manage the levels of risk, uh, looking at safety, taking a look at firefighter behaviorals and, and the incident. And again, we hopefully have here in 2023 standards, process, procedures. We've had training. We have accountability. 
and we have appropriate levels of leadership that, that balance and manage those at the task, at the tactical, and certainly at the operational strategic level. I think it's safe to say that when we talk about risk, or especially fireground risk, uh, for many of us, um, I think when we, when we use the, the following statement, risk a lot to save a lot, risk a little to save a little, and risk nothing for what is already lost, um, although rather vague, and, it, and it's sometimes very specific, but I, I think I'm more apt to opt on the aspect that it, it is, is somewhat vague because our interpretation of what risk may be um, is really going to be sometimes uh, collective when we all can agree based on experience, based on our companies, based on the tactical box alarm on the fire ground. Uh, we understand what risk looks like. We understand what risk uh, perceptions are and how that relates back to our operations. And, and other times, your risk and my risk may be as far apart as the, as the Grand Canyon, right? But uh, the late Chief Alan Brunacini uh, introduced that into the fire service both from the phrasing of it as well as the phasing of it. Uh, both the phrase itself uh, became uh, uh, a continuing uh, mantra of Chief Brutusini uh, originating back in the mid to late 1980s, but especially in the 1990s. It really was a, a common statement that for many of us in the fire service and on the job at that time, it, it was a constant reminder it was also a constant adage regarding fire ground operations. But when we take a look at that in today's context, uh, uh, we do not, in, in today's context, do not have a uniform uh, or universal type of uh, perspective, nor do we have and have the ability to, um, to have commonality of what risk is in a particular building, in a particular occupancy, based upon a degree of, of fire involvement, based upon where we may be across the United States, again, from East Coast to West Coast, from the Midwest to the North to the South, and Southwest, Southeast, and Northwest, Northeast, and, and so forth. So uh, there are a lot of uh, stressors from that. One of the things that I will just quickly make mention of is that in the NIOSH report of F2012-13, this was a double line of duty death that occurred in the city of Philadelphia dealing with a very large, complex uh, city block uh, building, both mill, uh, semi-mill, and ordinary constructed building. Multiple alarm fire it ultimately led to the line of duty death of both a firefighter and a lieutenant on the job in Philadelphia in 2012. But within the context of that report, uh, there were some things that we developed and uh, moved forward dealing with trying to identify uniformity toward uh, both occupancy risk and profiling and probability. So I will just encourage you, and we've, we've had these discussions both on Chief Doug Klein's uh, uh, podcast, uh, on our podcast in the, in the archives, talking about the severity of risk and those levels, everything from negligible to catastrophic, and the operational probability of those all the way from unlikely to frequent and what they may be. So again, if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to take a look at that. There are some links in that report, and if you, and if you can't find it, Again, please get a hold of me directly and I'll, I'll get some PDF information out to you. One of the things that we are still working forward towards, uh, hopefully within, uh, within the short next couple of months here, we hope to have our, uh, our integrated 
web portals and blog sites up and running. Many of you may recall and were, were many for many years followers here on Fire Engineering's uh, blog on Fire Engineering's Fire EMS blog site where we ran uh, both our command safety, which ultimately evolved into firegroundleadership.com, our fireofficer.com. Well, those are, and again, our, our current buildings on fire.com, those are all going to be integrated into a very uh, richly uh, com composed and comprised website that uh, will give you a portal to everything you need to become more aware of regarding building construction, and then we're going to have individual elements within that, and then that portal starting off with our our uh, buildings on fire, sort of as the the cent central uh, uh, point to gain access, and then from there we're going to have uh, readingthebuildings.com, firegroundleadership.com. We're going to have uh, Building construction for today's fireservice.com on that site, as well as a couple of other different areas, along with a whole variety of resources and elements to that. So much of what we are talking about here today uh, will eventually be populated in that uh, in those web portals on our blog sites and getting those back up and running, so we can continue to have very robust conversations uh, that go well beyond just the podcast uh, downloads that uh, again are part of our program here on fireengineering.com. Uh, so again, when we take a look at that aspect risk, they are certainly uh, first and foremost to our discussion points and dialogue, which leads me again to, to move uh, forward in, in a more expeditious manner here to really talk about size up. So when we talk about size up, you know, what, what does it mean? So each and every one of you have, and, and I think we all share some commonalities coming out of the various types of traditional fire service uh, textbooks, both new and old. Uh, that have always talked about size up, but the further back we go, especially into the 80s and 70s and 60s, and really going back into the latter part of the last 20th century, uh, there's a lot to talk about when we talk about reading the fire ground and sizing up the buildings, and, and, and much of what we are, you know, trying to pull together here in these models. Um, there is a genesis and there is a basis. So I wanted to take a, a few moments here on this particular episode to just focus in on those aspects dealing with size up. And again, where did it come from? Uh, for many of us, we're utilizing some aspects of size up that originated in a couple of key textbooks that continue to influence everything that we do. There's some acronyms that continue to be uh, promoted out there. It's interesting as I teach around the country, um, and I ask, you know, about one particular acronym that seems to be very common, as as I originally may have thought, uh, up until a few years ago. You would indicate and, and um, you know uh, talk about this acronym, and uh, much of the feedback coming from uh, our classes out uh, throughout the United States was pretty consistent. People knew what the acronym meant. It uh, maybe could. Uh, recall what what some of the uh, letters stood for and so forth, but actually we're, we're finding that uh, more and more individuals through a variety of reasons, either a lack of reading, lack of comprehension, and just laziness or what have you, is that they're getting further and further away from it and, and just not recognizing what um, what that acronym may have meant, and when we get into the dialogue and conversation on size up, it is all over the board. I do not see consistencies. Actually, I'll take that back. I do see some consistencies here on the, both on the East Coast and West Coast, and then I see some filtering and a variety of different uh, uh, applications uh, in many other parts of the United States. And it's interesting because, again, 
what are we evolving into, what are we forgetting, uh, what are we continuing to establish or maintain, but I continue, I think, to see a hybrid version of what one is utilizing for size up because they are trying to reduce it down to the least amount of sound bite and really start uh, limiting and actually doing away with and seeing some of the fading aspects of critical thinking, critical observations, building intel, um, and even the skill sets of what it is that I'm looking at, comprehending what I'm seeing, comprehending that for its priorities, filtering that out between those things that are obvious, those things that are, are mission critical, and then being able to further that by communicating what those observations are and tying them into a particular order or task assignment. And, that, and that's part of the problem when we take a look at those particular elements. Um, I'll say this again when we talk about size up. Size up is part of a much larger aspect. It's part of the uh, it's part of what we call cognition. It's the mental actions or the process of acquiring knowledge. And again, I'm going to somewhat paraphrase this, acquiring knowledge and understanding through both experience and our senses. And this results in a perception, a sensation, uh, sometimes a notion, sometimes intuition. Our gut is telling us uh, something. And ultimately, it, 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 that it evolves further into some action. Uh, that action is either communicated or it's in an action in which we are physically uh, uh, engaging in some activity on the fire ground. So for, for, for us at the command and the operational level, this is a very, very critical. But cognition and some of the aspects of, of the of what we call the five cognitive processes, uh, and those include, again, thinking, knowing, remembering, judging, and problem solving. And those are all part and parcel when we talk about size up operations, is it not? So when we talk about thinking, knowing, remembering, judging, and problem solving, uh, I, I think it's safe to say, at least in, in, in my opinion and what I continue to advocate in our classes and programs and lecturing, is that probably overarching of, of these is critical thinking. And critical thinking and the ability to recall, uh, especially when we talk about past experiences, and now we get into a, another whole series of some of the cognitive, uh, score, uh, what we call the core skills uh, that are really mission critical both at the company and the command level, especially on the first due, and they include, uh, and again, let's see if I can recall them all, but again, it's a sustained attention, it is a response uh, inhibition, it is the speed of information processing, it's the cognitive flexibility and control, it's multiple uh, simultaneous attention areas where we've got a lot of information coming at us and we have to have that ability to be able to, uh, to soak in and filter but, but have multiple simultaneous degrees of attention, uh, both uh, things that we're hearing, things that we're seeing that are all part of our operations. Um, it's having working memory, which is so, so critical, category formation, and then also the aspects of what we call pattern recognition. And if I was to say this, is that in, in two specific areas, uh, the speed of information processing, cognitive flexibility and control, multiple simultaneous uh, areas of attention, that is one real critical uh, building block, skill block, and then the other is working memory, category formation, and pattern recognition. I mean, this guy is, uh, is the most critical elements, and again, when I talk about use guys, it's a New York thing, so again, it, it's no offense to anyone that's listening. It's really uh, certainly inclusive of all of us that are out there. So there is no process that is purely linear. Linear. It really does require uh, initiation of rapid, accurate, uh, rational, decisive, and action-oriented uh, activities. 
And again, when we take a look at all of that, it has everything to do with the built environment, the design, the construction aspects when we talk about the building. It has to do with fire dynamics. It has to do with our tactical uh, uh, windows. It has to do with our availability and capabilities or limitations of our resources, having what's called a more an adaptive fire ground management modeling and putting those risks together with a much more conservative bias. So. Um, you know, if you want to take a look at what the definition of, you know, take a look at any one of the both online or hard copy uh, um, dictionaries that are out there or Google it out. Again, that's sort of the way things go. Or even look it up in uh, Wikipedia of what size up uh, may mean. Many of our prominent uh, textbooks that are out there that are on many of our reading lists for promotional exams and so forth uh, provide some, some very clear, definable, but again, you'll, you're going to see some overlaps and sometimes you're going to see some very distinctive aspects to that. So with that being said, let me spend the next uh, couple of minutes just talking about some aspects of size up. And um, I think, well, I'm just trying to think, I think it's safe to say this. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the key attributes. So. I talked about the five and five, and I think I'll introduce those those five back again here for those of you that may be listening to this for the first time or to reinforce the, those particular aspects. When we talk about the criticalities of, um, of part of our five-star model, uh, the five and fives, the, the five most critical elements when both assessing and operating and understanding our buildings, both in the study of as well as in the sizing up of our buildings, includes the following. It's understanding the building anatomy um, or the construction systems of that building along with the building's era and vintage of time. There's, there's two critical components and there's actually some subsets that come out of that, that aspect. But as one of the first of that five, again, it's, it's building anatomy, it's the construction systems and the anatomy aspects and also its relationship to era and vintage of when those buildings were built in a particular uh, expanse of time. The second item deals with uh, occupancy types and occupancy risks. And along with that, there are some cascading aspects to, uh, to the occupancy category. There's both uh, uh, physical elements of that uh, particular building that revolve around occupancy classifications, risk, layout, configurations, and I'll give you that in a little bit. Uh, the third aspect is, again, of all buildings, the most critical third aspect of that is, again, what are the characteristics regarding the building's uh, potential compromise or collapse? Again, on the, on the least level, it is uh, everything from zero, meaning negligible on a compromising condition, all the way to significant um, catastrophic large area, both internal and external collapse. The fourth item is the methods and the materials of construction that went into the structural anatomy of that building based on air and vintage. So it's the methods of construction and the materials that were used in the construction of that building that are so critical that influence compromise and collapse that also influence and are derived from construction systems, building anatomy, era and vintage. And then the fifth uh, predominant domain, we talk about sizing up, looking at the building, the five and five, is the aspects of fire, fire dynamics. How, how will fire propagate, extend? How will, will it be resisted? Uh, what kind of resiliency can that building have? What kind of integrity and what kind of time? So the aspects of RIT uh, come and are derived out of fire dynamics. So they all revolve around this, this concept of, of BEAR, the acronym of BEAR, dealing with building anatomy, air and vintage, um, and the relationship of, of risk and the resiliency, integrity, and time, coupled with 
the aspects of severity, urgency, and growth. So I wanted to get that, that out uh, in the earliest part here for some of that dialogue and discussion. The other aspect of contributors, when we talk about predictability of performance to the building, there's, there's five other aspects here that uh, are, are physical characteristics uh, of that building that are also influenced by fire, heat impingements, you know, again, what's going on in that, in that building on fire. And those include, again, focusing in on, so again, we're, we're talking about uh, tying this back into sizing up, but they also include uh, uh, the aspects of the perimeter walls, the enclosure of that particular building. It's uh, the aspects of the roof system. It is the consideration and the aspects of the floor assembly. Um, and or ceiling assembly. So, you know, on one side we've got a floor, on the other side of that we may have a ceiling. Um, in the absence of, a, of, of multiple floors, we may have a floor in a basement area, but it is a floor slash ceiling systems or assembly. It is the characteristics of the compartment as it relates to its uh, location within the building. So I may have a single story uh, commercial building in which the perimeter walls are the enclosure to that compartment. So we don't have any other uh, uh, compartments within the building, the perimeter walls all encase and provide enclosure to that the single type of compartment. Or just the opposite where we may have a number of compartments that have uh, have uh, various types of relationships regarding accessibility and egress and so forth, uh, what we call connectivity. And uh, those series of compartments may lead into hallway areas, they may lead internally, but again we may have by compartment meet, we, we are actually referring back to rooms, and those rooms also have various types of characteristics relative to square footages, volumes, and other relationships, especially when we relate that back to what is the compartment's writ, what is the compartment's resiliency, integrity, and under fire conditions, how much time do I have regarding integrity, resiliency, and or resistance. And then the fifth piece is the absence or presence of void. So we talk about the uh, again the aspects of the building anatomy, occupancy type, occupancy risk, collapse and compromise methods and materials of construction, fire dynamics. That is the first five critical elements of the building reads um, and sizing up and consideration of the fire ground, of which the contributors include again perimeter walls, roof systems, floor and or ceiling systems, uh, the aspects of the compartment. Where, where, where it is where we're going to go and operate from, and then it's the absence or presence of voice. Those are, those are the five and five of which RIT has a component to it and the severity, urgency, and growth regarding the incident parameters that uh, revolve around it. So just a very quick uh, degree of insights from that standpoint. So quickly, I just want to give you some insights on, on where... Um, I think size up. So again, I, I'm not going to get into there's there's a number of different aspects of size up. I think you're going to hear me talk about uh, a couple of acronyms that for many of you are familiar with it. But let me give you a quick little history on size up. And uh, I'm going to actually go back all the way to uh, 1913 in the early 1900s in FDNY. And at that time, uh, FDNY Chief John uh, Kenlin who became and was appointed fire chief of FDNY actually on August 1st of 1911. Uh, he followed right after fire chief Edward Croker had, uh, uh, had served as chief of the department. And everyone, again, should recall who and what uh, chief Croker was known for in terms of his uh, continuing legendary statement about that I have no desire or, or other ambition in my life other than to be a, a firefighter. Um, I think it's important to understand that uh, 
Chief Kenlin at the time, in 1913, actually wrote a, a definitive book called Fires and Firefighters. And that book started putting together some insights on firefighting in FDNY at the time, which actually ended up influencing Lloyd Lehman in Lloyd Lehman's writings in 1943. And Lloyd Lehman, we'll talk a little bit more about here in a moment, but for, for most of us, again, you sh if you're literate and understand who, who uh, some of our, our historical figures are, our legends in the fire service, Lloyd Lehman certainly is one of them, Chief Lloyd Lehman. And for those of you that don't, I'll, I'll give you some explanation of that here in a moment. But uh, he directly influenced, uh, his book directly influenced much of the early writings of Chief Lloyd Lehman in 1943 and some of his uh, uh, considerations on size up and so forth. So he also, I'll give you a little quick uh, little side note though, but uh, he was also the first fire chief that was the uh, fire chief at a uh, the first high-rise fire. So the equitable life-building fire. That and we're back again. So again, apparently we've got some some uh, potential technical difficulties here that are affecting our program. So you may have heard a slight lapse here over the last uh, 30 to uh, 60 seconds. So we are back uh, um, uh, live and then also just picking back up where we left off. So my last uh, statement was that, again, we're talking about first two sides. We're talking about uh, Chief John Kenlin, and I mentioned that he was the first fire chief and actually the first incident commander at the equitable life-building fire that occurred on January 9th. 1912, and that dealt with a 170-foot high-rise structure fire in New York City. So um, the, the truly defining book that uh, started putting some things together regarding uh, building construction and some aspects dealing with uh, firefighting was the Fire Chief's Handbook that was issued by the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Uh, Fred Shepard was the editor. This was published in 1932. It began its compilation in 1928. This was the first complete textbook for the fire service. Many of you may not be aware of that, but it was the first complete textbook for the fire service. And within that textbook, um, there were a number of different aspects. It talked about and gave us the first term of size up. And size up was defined as a quick survey of the situation as encountered by the fire department upon arrival. And more importantly, it also talked about Again, this was based upon best practices that were being compiled throughout the United States at that time. It gave us two distinctive areas. It talked about life hazard and property hazard. So everything that we suddenly were starting to put together that actually Chief Brunacini put together in the Fireground Commander book series in mid in the 1980s, 1986 to be specific, um, all actually came about from the originating book in 1932. So um, I think that when we connect uh, talking about uh, life hazard and, and, and property hazards and, and incident priorities, much of this was attributed back to Chief Brunacini, but in fact was really attributed back to the IAFC's uh, Fire Chief's Handbook in 1932. So again, it was the first time we talked about size up, first time they, they collectively talked about fire uh, life hazard and the property loss. They also talked about the initial plan of operations and, and how that was so critical. Upon the first uh, officer's arrival, rest the heaviest responsibility, and that's sort of quote-unquote. They talked about the first arriving officer is responsible for developing that initial plan of operations, and they go on to talk about 
construction types. Again, as I mentioned, there were some different types of construction classifications as early on as 1905 through 1915, uh, and again, subsequently in the uh, mid to late 1920s, and then uh, subsequently in the mid to late 1930s, there were some additional changes in these building types and classifications. But they talked about types of construction, the development of fire within the compartment, and more importantly, each type of construction and the specific types of characteristics, so the predictability that we continue to advocate and discuss. They also talked about, in terms of the size up, about uh, critical elements of the building, building height, construction of the building, the numbers of openings, which was so critical back in that era of time, the location of the fire, the type of occupancy, the types of exposures, both internal and external, and here's a, here's a real game changer here. They talked about wind. As early as 1932, almost 100 years ago, they were, the fire service was talking about the implications and the considerations of wind. Unfortunately, as time went on into the, uh, into the latter part of the 20th century, uh, we stopped talking about uh, the environmental aspects as specifically as they talked about them in this emerging era of the fire surf. But, but wind was a significant consideration. They talked about accessibility and then resource needs. So uh, some very uh, insightful kinds of information. They also talked about going directly to find the seed of the fire. And I'll quote this out. It says direct. So when they talk about the following, scientifically and carefully fought fires, extinguished quickly, confined to the smallest area, directly to the seat of the fire by interior means when possible. So if you want to understand why it is that we talk about interior firefighting operations, it was established in the 1930s, in the emerging era of the fire service. And again, they also promoted opening up the building. Even the term opening up the building comes about through that 1932 edition. Uh, again, opening up the building it was promoted. Prior to that, uh, the public opinion within the fire service considered uh, ventilating the building to be considered poor practice. So we move forward all the way to the 1960s. In the 1960s, when we talk about size up, size up gave us some aspects on pre-arrival, sizing up the time of day, weather conditions, uh, the arrival portion of it, the building, location, accessibility, exposure, water resources, and source, uh, both water resources and the sources thereof, the occupancy type, the nature of the contents, the condition uh, of the occupants, taking a look at construction again, the criticality, the type, the age, the conditions, the physical characteristics of height, the area, the, the amount of unbroken areas, which was critical as buildings started becoming larger, both vertically and horizontally, in terms of the footprints of the buildings, the uh, presence of fire stops, the uh, presence of channels, as, the, as they refer to it, which is what we call commonly the types of voids, the presence and, and operability of sprinkler systems, the sandpipes, and the amount of windows and the openings and the degree of protection of those openings. So in the 40s and 50s, going all the way up to the 60s, uh, it was clearly, clearly identified that uh, many of our older buildings had sizable numbers of window openings and or other perimeter wall openings. Again, that's the importance of perimeter walls. And the absence or presence of uh, protectives on those openings was critical to help limit uh, fire exposure, fire extension from propagating from one building to the other. Uh, for the aspects of the fire, so we talk about size up, we talk about the building, we talk about the fire. It's the extent, the location uh, within the building, the type of contents involved, the considerations of life hazards, both in terms of the occupants and the firefighters. 
So this was the same, again, even in the 1932 edition. They talked about the importance of life safety of the firefighter and the fire service equally when they discuss the aspects of life safety to civilians. So there's a lot of rhetoric uh, continuing to go on in the, in the current era and current place in the fire service about them versus us and so on and so forth. But uh, best practices considered the importance of the value of the life of a firefighter and the value of the life of the civilians that we are uh, sworn to protect. So there's a lot more that gets into those uh, aspects. Uh, fire condition needs and the effects of fire on building materials, which goes back to what we continue to advocate about, the importance of methods and materials within the building. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. So we fast forward uh, um, Lloyd Lehman in 1953, and Lloyd Lehman, again, was the father of the indirect attack, gave us the fog application, little drops of water. If you're not familiar with him, I would encourage you to look him up. But uh, he gave us really the, the five-step process of size up on the fire ground. We continue to use that today. Talked about the facts, the things that you know, the probabilities, the things that are likely to happen, uh, our own situation, your resources and capabilities, uh, decisions, making an attack, tactical decision making, uh, what do we do, what do we don't do. So the aspects of decision making based on facts and probability and where we're at, um, and then also the plan of operations. What are we going to do in terms of uh, continuing to develop this initial plan of operation that was defined in 1932, and then further established when we talk about the uh, initial action plan uh, derived from uh, uh, coming out of the Brunacini model in uh, 1986. So this all came about in 1953, continues to influence much of what we talk about here today. Um, and I'll just say this, there's a couple of other things that came about. Uh, 1963, Charles Walsh, coming out of FDNY, started talking about size up as related to pertinent facts and really gave us the, what we consider to be the 15-point factors, location, extent, life hazard, time, exposures, building systems, water supply, street conditions, resources, uh, construction, um, construction type, occupancy type, weather, height, area, and other miscellaneous aspects. Um, it's also important to note, though, that although Walsh defined that in his book on firefighting strategy and leadership in 1963, it was interesting that in 1974, um, in the defining book of firefighting principles and practices, William Clark, who also was a retired uh, chief out of FDNY, in his preface, he actually talked about the 14 to 15 point size of process that actually had uh, been um, conceived in FDNY going back at least into 1939. And it's assumed that some of this influence, uh, it was either the writings of the IFC uh, Fire Chief's Handbook in 1932 influenced the development of the 14 to 15 point size up process in FDNY or it originated somewhere thereabouts and finally was defined as a uh, model approach or a process in the late 1930s. And that was actually written in the uh, preface of the 1974 Firefighting Principles and Practices. That is also what eventually influenced um, one significant contributor, and that was uh, Chief John Norman in his uh, 1991 defining book on uh, the uh, Fire Officer's Handbook on, on Strategy and Tactics. So for many of us, we consider COAL was wealth, the acronym of COAL, C-O-A-L, W-A-S, wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, where we talk about this 15-point size up, which again has been 
uh, attributed toward uh, Chief Norman when, in fact, it really came about through uh, a variety of means that are, that are unsighted, maybe going back to as, as long as the mid-1930s in FDNY and was somewhat established by some uh, concepts that uh, the IFC put together in 1932. So it's interesting that sometimes we cite the originations of these by certain individuals when, in fact, they, they uh, really weren't. Um, in 1966-1968, the uh, fire attack, fire attack one and fire attack two by Warren Kimball started talking about the tactical box, talking about tackle tactical groups, the initial fire attack of two, three, and four engine assignments, talked about size up uh, by the fire chief and inclusive of utilizing a chief's aid. Uh, and he also talked about size up being a deliberate study versus a few seconds glance. And I think that's very, very critical to differentiate. Um, and again, the, the aspects of construction, arrangement, and occupancy in buildings fires uh, as related to gallon per minute flow rate was also um, established in that fire attack one and fire attack book two in 1966 and 1968. He also talked about uh, mutual aid considerations, uh, small county and rural um, applications of mutual aid, gave us the task force concept coming out of the LA riots at that particular time. And then again, when we go into the 1972 era, uh, Emmanuel Freed, again, coming out of FDNY, in his defining book on fire run tactics, talked about evaluating the fire problem regarding size up, looking at life safety, time of fire, height, building construction, the area, occupancies, exposure, water, weather, resources, protective systems. So each one of these guys coming out of FDNY, all the way up through and including John Norman, again, going all the way back into the 1990s, was building upon some predecessors and, again, just re, uh, maybe reestablishing and realigning uh, some of the, uh, the verbiage. Um, as Norman uh, would put it, again, Chief Norman ended up uh, putting them together. They gave us an acronym was, which was easily uh, to be able to memorize and apply on the fire ground. Cole was wealth, but I also see that this continues to be a um, fleeting concept. It is a fleeting acronym that the Fire Service has some recollection on and has been modifying. There's, there's so many different hybrids that have come out of it. A um, couple of other things here. I'll just make mention. So there's an unsighted, the ABCD, uh, address, building description, conditions, deployment and directives. The um, Anthony Navillo, good friend out of New Jersey, and, and Frank Ritchie out of Connecticut, talked about building construction. So again, relating back to size of Building construction, identifying occupancy, the uh, aspect of layout, fire location upon arrival, fire location extension, and uh, progress as we get into the, those degrees of engagement. So there is no one definitive as, uh, aspect of size up. Um, I think the limitations of time here, we're not going to get into that level of detail. I will say that I think in one of our upcoming uh, programs here, um, either the next episode coming up in another month or so, maybe uh, our live presentation that we'll be doing from the floor of FDIC in April. Uh, we may be getting into the, a little bit more of this. I do want to end uh, one other uh, aspect of this. Uh, so there is the blue, uh, excuse me, the blue card order model, again, related to the blue card system that talks about structural size up and building size up, which I, I believe that there is some value to that particular aspect. But structure and building, um, in my world and in my perspective and our modeling, it is one of the same. There is, uh, again, 
a dif differentiation when we read the fire ground, read the building, read the, read the fire, and read the companies, of which I believe that some of that distinction is, is embedded in the blue card system. But I think it's an entirely different aspect and modeling that is not uh, consistent with what we are, are promoting and, and, and discussing. So blue card model, structural size of building size of occupancy type, name, fire conditions, initial attack modes, offensive, tactical priorities, uh, report, progress. I mean, there's some things out of here that we have actually tied back into the new emerging uh, guide out of the NFPA 1700 guide. Uh, but I will say this, that one of the other things that we have been really promoting, and, and suddenly we, we've sort of seen this uh, somewhat of a of resurrection um, of, of conversation uh, in the fire services. A couple of individuals that are talking much more and actually been uh, doing some writings and, and are actually doing some uh, presentations uh, regionally around the country talking about uh, the insights of Colonel John Boyd. And John Boyd in, in our world of the fire service and in my world in terms of building construction and, and fireground size up and fireground operations and modeling was a direct influencer probably 20 years ago. So it's interesting to, to note that this is suddenly coming back in the forefront. But we actually, again, when we talk about it, uh, and let me take, take a step back here for a moment. So uh, Colonel John Boyd um, was in the U.S. Air Force in the late 1950s. He developed the, uh, the ODA loop, which is the OODA. So it's OODA loop, uh, which uh, was developed for the Vietnam fire fighter pilots uh, to increase their effectiveness dealing with uh, air battles and so forth during the Vietnam era. But it, it really revolves around uh, four critical elements of, uh, of skill sets dealing with observations and dealing, as we put it, back into the size up uh, cycle. It deals with uh, observe, orient, decide, and act. And they have some very definitive elements as we relate them into the size up cycle. So, Again, whatever you may call them, it's the observation, it's orienting, um, it's deciding, and it's acting. And they are, they are clearly parts of the process model of first arriving construction tactics and safety. The only thing that we add into that regarding the, um, the, the last and as it suddenly goes back into the cycle, so observe, orient, decide, act, goes back into, again, observe, orient, decide, act. But the one element that, that is sort of a slight appendage to that is that between the act portion of it and returning back to the observation portion of that cycle, we've included some attributes dealing with our first arriving construction tactics and safety, and that includes both tactical windows of T plus time regarding safety, risks and operations relative to RIT, and also includes in that tactical window aspects of the benchmarks and PARs. So um, it's, it's, it's hard to describe that um, in a podcast element. I think we are going to, we're actually trying to identify some opportunities to put these together in a, in a webinar base. We'll actually talk about this in our presentation at FDIC next month in April. FDIC is just around the corner. It's uh, April 24th through the 29th. We're going to be doing a live podcast from the floor of FDIC on Wednesday, April 26th. And I'll also be presenting a um, classroom presentation on Thursday, April 27th, uh, entitled The Fire Officer's Guide to Today's Buildings on Fire, of which we will talk a little bit about this, uh, utilizing some uh, visuals and talk about tactical windows as such. So. 
there's some good insights that are coming out of this. You know, all of these are, are influenced by the NFPA 1700 guide, uh, the following standards of NFPA 1561, 1500, 1710, as they revolve around the tactical side of it, dealing with predictability of building performance, uh, fire-specific tactical considerations, dealing with the building type and the occupancy, tactical windows, the benchmarks, uh, preferred techniques and, and uh, methodologies, alternate potential techniques and methodologies, safety considerations, uh, human performance considerations at the company level, and the variables, again, relative to first arriving construction, tactics, and safety. And there's a lot of these variables that, that come into that that influence our overall operation. So again, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of these items, the predictability, taking a look at the Q factors, looking at and talking about roof systems, so enclosures, perimeter wall enclosures, roofs, floors, assemblies, roof systems, the compartment considerations, the voids, uh, the other five dealing with building, building anatomy, occupancy type and risk, uh, along with physical characteristics, the aspects of uh, collapse and compromise, methods and materials, and uh, the size of consideration of fire dynamics. So the five and five with RIT, severity, urgency, and growth, and then a quick little historical perspective on size up. So um, I think that's enough degree of saturation for our particular episode. We're just about... Uh, Oh, about uh, 60 or 70 minutes into our program. So, again, I want to thank you for listening in on this edition of Buildings on Fire, taking it to the streets where we've talked about some uh, aspects of fireground architecture and the building reads as they relate to facts, first arriving construction tactics and safety, and a couple of different reinforcing aspects of size up. We will continue some of these conversations both uh, online. We, we are really looking forward to getting some articles uh, and short posts uh, uh, published on both uh, fireengineering.com as well as in the magazine. Take a look at and keep track of through our social media some opportunities that we continue to provide with our podcast here on Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio on fireengineering.com on this network uh, where we will continue to provide uh, exceptional insightful, accurate, technically accurate, and uh, really trying to push the envelope with some models that, that make the job better for us in the streets without creating more work, but again, and not dumbing it down either in terms of simplifying it out. And uh, uh, again, there's certainly a lot to be said about just having the right tools, the right perspectives, being both building and fire literate and not being uh, functionally illiterate on today's fire ground. We do have uh, some, some great opportunities at FDIC. Uh, we look forward to seeing many of our listeners there. If you see me you know, anywhere uh, in, the, uh, in the corridors or the classrooms of FDIC or in the streets of Indianapolis, just reach out, just uh, stop me, and uh, we'll look forward to having a conversation. I would also uh, advise you that we will be having uh, Reading the Buildings uh, f uh, coming to you live from Indy from the streets of Indianapolis. For those of you that have followed us over the last couple of years, we will be posting extensive uh, uh, photographs and images coming from the streets along with some videos. 
talking about some snippets of insights and information about buildings on fire and the built environment and building anatomy and fire ground architecture from the streets of Indy uh, during the uh, FDIC week. Uh, we will be presenting on April 27th, so if you've got some time and you haven't selected your programs, you're going to be at FDIC, uh, I really encourage you to stop by on Thursday, April 27th, Fire Officer's Guide. Today's Buildings on Fire will give you some insights on some emerging trends and operational items. Um, I personally will be on the road in a variety of different locations throughout the United States over the next uh, couple of months, all the way from uh, Nebraska, Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, New Jersey. We've got a couple of programs in New Jersey, North Carolina, here back in New York on a couple of programs, Maryland, uh, keynoting the Maryland uh, State uh, Firefighters uh, uh, Conference uh, in Ocean City coming up in June, uh, another program in Oklahoma. So, again, we've got a lot of things coming up. Uh, take a look at some of our Reading the Buildings tours, and, uh, again, just follow us on social media, and uh, we really look forward to you listening in on our next edition of Buildings on Fire, taking it to the streets here on Fire Engineering blog talk radio so again until next time companies are in quarters and off the air stay safe but keep in mind there's a job being worked somewhere in the streets in your city across the country and around the world doing what we do best and being who we are firefighters so take care everyone and thanks for listening in on buildings on fire and i'm your host christopher nom stay safe until next time